You asked for it, so we delivered. The Rink Wide Podcast. Now, here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Yes, it's the show that always scores rink wide in podcast form. Andrew Wadden alongside JD Burke, and we're going to get right into it, JD, and start with the biggest news of the week. And that was the Columbus Blue Jackets sweeping the Tampa Bay Lightning, because you know we all saw that coming. Uh, Allison Lucan from The Athletic uh, in Columbus is going to join us right off the hop. Allison, uh, first question out the shoot How the hell did the Blue Jackets do what they just did? <laughs> Well, thanks for having me, guys. I think that uh, it, it really is the surprise of the century. I, I put out um, after the game that there was only one person I had seen pick the jackets expecting to hear back a flurry of, no, I did too, and literally no one did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the jackets had a couple weapons. Um, they really game-planned um, their forecheck and their defensive and shot suppression strategy um, that worked, and Tampa just couldn't seem to find the counter to that. And then, of course, there was goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky got that monkey off his back of not really being able to perform in the postseason. Throw on top of that that the Jackets took hardly any penalties and all of a sudden found their power play converting at 50%, which is ridiculous. Um, That's how you get hot and that's how you somehow beat (laughs) the best team in the NHL. Now, of course, the uh, Jackets loaded up when it came to the trade deadline and... um... It took them a while to gel. Do you think this is now we're, they're starting to bear fruit with this roster? Because they are quite stacked. And we saw them, J.D. and I, when they came through Vancouver, and I believe they put a five spot on Vancouver. It was five bagel. Right. Yeah, actually. Um, and they were, like, watching that game, we were like, wow, this, this Blue Jackets team is great. But mind you, they're playing, you know, a team like the Canucks who weren't, you know, let's just say one of the better teams in the NHL. They're a work in progress. Uh, yeah, work in progress. It's the best way you could put it. <laughs> exactly. So do you feel like they're just starting to gel now and, and we are starting to see uh, this powerhouse roster? Because, I mean, look at the roster. They're stacked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, Matt Duchesne, after kind of they got going, which unfortunately for you guys was kind of that Vancouver game that that started their strong finish. Matt Duchesne said he really thinks it takes about 20 games for – particularly significant additions to find their way in a new lineup. And the trick is that's really close to the deadline. And what happens is that you can't make your move sooner because often you don't know what your team needs. So they took some time to get their stuff together. They actually had a big team meeting um, there in Vancouver. They had two days um, before that game and just kind of had to have a level set about who's going to be in what role, what role does everyone want to play? How does everyone play? And, that's when it finally gelled, and, and again, it, it happened at just the right time. Yeah, no kidding. I, I think that the, the interesting thing for this Blue Jackets team, and, and not a lot of people have mentioned this that I've heard, is that they came within, I think, one game of, of one or two games of defeating the Washington Capitals last year's Stanley Cup winner, and you look at the success they had this year against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'm starting to wonder, did we not give them enough credit did we not give this roster its due? Because everything they accomplished last season, I think they just got unlucky with their playoff matchup, which is kind of a trend in Columbus Blue Jackets history. And then this year, it, they they add a couple of pieces, and it's enough to put them over the top. I, I start to wonder, did we give this roster enough credit? You know, I, maybe not, but I think that that's a factor that, I mean, let's let's face the reality. This is a smaller market team that hasn't had a lot of postseason success. So we all know in the craziness of a a full 82-game season, you can't pay enough attention to every team um, if it's not a team in your division or a team that you're covering. And the big story that took over, quite frankly, a lot of really great storylines coming out of Columbus. Cam Atkinson scores 41 goals this year, but the story everyone wanted to talk about was, of course, the UFA status of Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. So even when the team was starting to do more that should bear notice, that was the national storyline. And I get it. I mean, that's the realities of how things work. But, you know, as John Tortorella likes to say, your, your, your story, your history, your notoriety is made in the postseason, and that's what the Jackets are going to try and do this year, finally. Well, you, you mentioned John Tortorella, and it's been a bizarre twist for Canucks fans who had to watch him in Vancouver. He, he seemed completely, I don't want to say out of it in Vancouver, but, I mean, some of his decision-making uh, whether that was trying to fight Bob Hartley between the, the two <laughs> locker rooms or, or right. what he did with the team. It didn't seem like he was fully invested. He admitted a, a year later that he, he should have taken more time off after losing the Rangers gig. 
And and it's been interesting because a lot of us in Vancouver wrote him off entirely. We thought that his style of hockey had gone the way of the dodo bird, and and here he is in Columbus. And I think that in some respects he's managed to reinvent himself. Would you say that that has been the case with Tortorella, that he's had an evolution as he's adapted to this new setting, this new roster, and the circumstances that he has helped create with this team? I, I absolutely would. You know, I, in talking with folks from Vancouver and who had to go through that phase, you know, I, I get I get the frustration. I get the perception. I think that after so Tortorella bad. left Vancouver, he had um, he had kind of an epiphany, to your point, and I think he knew he needed to step back and he and Mike Sullivan both actually took a year and watched every single goal in the NHL season. And they really started to develop the concept that now we all throw around all the time. And that's scoring chances and the value of scoring chances over shots, over blocks, over anything else. So he was already on his way to thinking differently. And then he comes to Columbus, to your point, he gets some really active, talented defensemen like Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones in his stable and he was one of the first coaches, too, to start saying, we're going to activate from the back end. We're going to have aggressive defensemen. He doesn't even call them defensemen. He calls them rovers, which is uh, similar to the concept of backs that some people talk about. So, yes, I think he has really taken a step back. He, he wants to change his reputation. Um, he wants to have a little bit of redemption. But he has really shown himself to change the way that he coaches. And it's been quite funny to me in, in terms of everything you guys were just saying because – now some people are saying John Tortorella actually outcoached John Cooper in that series, which who would have saw that coming? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I want to ask about the roster, though. Excuse me. In terms of what's going to happen in this offseason here, and I know that it's going to be pure speculation on your part, but now that they're into the second round and looking like a team that uh, we've going to be very dangerous. I mean, you just took out a 62-win team, a team that had clinched a playoff spot with 13 games to go in the regular season. Is it going to take an ECF? Is it going to take a Stanley Cup? Like, What's it going to take to be able to keep this roster intact, in particular RF or UFAs like Panarin and Bobrovsky and perhaps Duchesne? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never say never, but I think that the signs are pretty clear that Bobrovsky and Panarin are, are going to head elsewhere, um, barring some sort of crazy uh, big change of heart. I just think the writing is on the wall there. Um, Matt Duchesne is one who might be able to have his mind changed. He's been very effusive about how much he's enjoyed his time here and loved the team and loved the city and just loves being in this playoff experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll think about that when it comes to the end of June and he's making a decision. I, to your point, I do think it's going to take some more winning. I think it's going to depend on how they win, how they go out if they don't get the cup. You know, are they swept and just crushed and swept themselves, or do they go down fighting tooth and nail? I think that will impact maybe what a player like Matt Duchesne is thinking. Um, but the other big question to with the loss of Bobrovsky is obviously goaltending. They have some real talent in their pipeline, particularly Elvis Merzlikens, who is here with the team. He signed a contract, but he has yet to play on North American ice. And so he will be on this roster next year. But I also think they're probably going to have to bring in, you know, a veteran free agent to help bridge that kid's transition into the NHL. So goal defense is going to be fine, but uh, the forwards are going to take a little bit of a hit, I think, particularly if Duchesne doesn't sign. And goaltending is going to be a big question mark. Boston Bruins and uh, Toronto Maple Leafs game five tonight. Obviously, Columbus waiting in the wings now. Um, do you worry, or are the are the Blue Jackets worried that you know having this amount of time off? Because let's face it, Toronto Boston could go seven games very easily. Uh, do you think it would hurt the Blue Jackets to wait this long, or uh, do you think that they're just they're firing on, on all, all cylinders right now? And to build on that, do you have a do you think that the Blue Jackets have a preferred matchup between those two? the Toronto Maple Leafs, and as my, my friend Wadden said, the the Boston Bruins? <laughs> well, I'll start with that question. I, you know, I don't think anyone on this team is going to say it, but I think the better matchup for them is definitely Toronto um, because not only is, uh, is Boston so talented, but a series against that team is going to be really demanding, really physical, and that can impact what, what happens on the other side of that series should you make it through. Um, I am very curious to see how they handle this break. It's really good for this team on one hand because, you know, we know that the more rest the team gets, the better they can be physically and, and just stamina-wise for a tournament like this. 
But, and it's also going to help them because three of their starting defensemen are out um, with injury. So is there going to be enough time for any one or more of those guys to get back in the lineup? But the mental re-engagement, they had two days off after they swept. They are back on the ice for the first time today. Um, I'm going to be really curious to see what work they do off the ice to maintain that intensity and then also how they look in that game one. I think game one is going to tell us a lot again, about the coaching and, and the, the level of where this team really is as competitors. Well, you've been, you've been far too generous with your time, so we're gonna, we've just got the one more question for you, and you can sure. uh, get back to covering the Blue Jackets as well as you do for the, the Athletic Columbus. And that question is, I just this, pop, this thought popped into my head. Yarmo Kekalainen, do you think, and, and humor me here, with the way that he handled the Artemi Panarin situation, the Sergei Bobrovsky one, and was so aggressive at the deadline. I loved that, by the way. I loved him going all in with the team that he had. Do you think we're going to hear him get some consideration for GM of the year? Do you think that he deserves some consideration for that award? Because I, I love the job he's done with this team this season. You know, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, should he be in that conversation? Maybe so. I mean, particularly when you look at the fact that everyone also predicted this team would be unable to handle the pressure and the distraction of the Bobrovsky and Panarin situations. And the coaching staff was obviously involved in that, but so was the front office. When they had to have team meetings, the front office was there too, to say what needed to be said to everyone. There was no hierarchy in those meetings. So maybe he does, because I'm with you. I, I, I like the moves. And that, you know, aside from just covering the team I wanted to see this team make a mark in the postseason because I'd love to see more teams take this kind of risk um he, maybe he should be in the conversation for sure it's going to be about what, what does the old school of hockey think about endorsing <laughs> that kind of of aggressive move at the deadline that that might tell us what the rest of the league thinks in terms of readiness to follow suit all right Allison Lucan from the athletic in Columbus uh, thanks for joining us today hey thanks so much for having me guys I appreciate it yeah, good stuff there from Allison. Um, Blue Jackets, uh, like we said, who who saw this coming? I did. You did? 100%. Did you, you had the, Blue uh, Jackets in four. Check my bracket. You had the analytics, did you? Uh, it's funny. I did hear your uh, hit on Halford and Bruff, and if you guys are listening to this, of course, uh, recording it on uh, Friday, April 19th. It's Good Friday, everybody. And, of course, it's always a good Friday when a new rink-wide podcast comes out yeah, each we and every don't, Friday. We don't take holidays. Playoffs. No, no. no we, I don't. We I, don't I, sleep because sleep is a cousin of death, man. I, I, <laughs> Who is the, oh Nas? That's yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. I thought Mob Deep for Holy a second. Holy crap! Yeah. You give me a Shut you give up. me a hard time for like my new rap, and then you forget a Nas yeah, reference. You're gonna drop an X Tentacion. What is that guy's Triple name? Triple X Tentacion. Oh, God, terrible, terrible. Um, yeah, I work on Sunday, <laughs> by the way, too, which is Easter. I do the golf show on Sunday, so and I get to play a baseball game this Sunday, which is why does my baseball league. Put team anyway. Uh, Any scouts gonna be out there for that game? Yes, Moj. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not kidding. He will know, be smoking a cigar, razzing <laughs> offering me. massages. Uh, okay, okay, we're going off on a, a little bit of a tangent here, but I got, I got, I got to let the listeners know about this. So, playing this baseball league, Moog lives literally right behind the diamond that we play mm -hmm. out of, and it's not slow pitch; it's actual men's league baseball. So, there's decent players. The guys are throwing. You know, there's some guys that that can bring the heat. Anyway, Moog shows up to my game smoking a cigar at like 10 a.m. I go up to bat. He's razzing me, and the catcher looks at me. He goes. That your dad? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> if Moj was my dad, shoot me now. All right, so let's get back into hockey. Hey, uh, a a watch hey, as good as a hit. Yeah, you're going to strike out there, one. Nah. You got a little war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never take you in my fantasy team. All right, um, where were we? All right, let's get into last night's action because uh, I think we've exhausted uh, the Blue Jackets and the Lightning. Um, but and the Moj. I, oh, one last thought, though. I did hear you on Helford and Bruff this morning, and um, you kind of made a joke about the analytics because do you have people, like, razzing you because of the fact that Lightning are so analytic-based, at least so people think, and the fact that they, they lost? And Do you have people going like, nah, 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 nah? Surprisingly, I don't, but I, I see the analytics versus uh, the eye test and, and speed and power, yada, yada, that debate all the time, and it's just, it's exhausting. 
And and I say this as somebody who's like looking down his nose at everybody in the analytics community. Like, let the fight go. Like, you won. I, I just the one thing it's, I don't. It's un- so tired. You well, know? you must hear it all the time. But the one thing that I don't understand is like, and I guess it's kind of the way our society is nowadays. There's one side of uh, a group of people that just don't that's want to dismiss it, and then there's the other side of people that are really hardcore into it. There's mm-hmm. very few in the middle. I feel like I'm in the middle. I feel like a lot of the analytics, uh, and I'm I'm going to be completely honest, are a little maybe in depth for myself. Not really mm-hmm. the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes. Well, but, I mean, like I, I no, even I mean, qualify like, it too. It's like I I graduated with essentials of math 11 that's idiot math for anybody listening yeah i i don't understand how most of it works i just understand how to contextualize it and and use it to analyze players and teams yeah and i just i feel like some people just want to dismiss it so badly and then they they just want to uh you know just ignore the fact And, and when things like you know tampa lose then they come out and are like see those analytics don't mean Jack, you know, you Your gotta boy play Pierre. heavy hockey and go, don't stop. We're not going to go on a bashing of every week, all right? Stop with that. Stop with that. But all he right. has to stop saying stupid stuff. Well, that I can't control, all right? He is on the show today on uh, Sakaris and Price, though, <laughs> each and every Friday. All right, let's update last night's action uh, around the NHL. And uh, we were just saying uh, before we came into the studio that, hey, last night was really good hockey. Yeah. And it's almost like Hell every yeah. single night we're like, Holy blank, this is really good hockey right now. And it has been. These playoffs have just been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I was giving the, the matchup set up a hard time. And you look at it, all the underdogs are winning. So, in, in fact, the NHL is kind of getting the, the narratives that they want out of the playoffs. And, and even you look at last night, St. Louis Blues beat the, the Winnipeg Jets at home with a walk-off. Like 15 seconds left, something yeah, like that? Yeah, I called oh it a walk-off God. home run. Because he, oh, totally. he bats it in front of the net with 15 seconds left, Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz should have did like like a Bautista bat flip. Oh, 100%. That would have been amazing. Especially in like a, an old school hockey market like Winnipeg. Holy crap, their heads would explode. Yeah, and they were jacked up at that game. I mean, the MTS Center is just amazing uh, atmosphere. I've won, Absolutely. I, I haven't been to a lot of rinks around the NHL. That is one rink that I would yep. love to go to. I don't know if I want to go to Winnipeg that much, <laughs> but uh, I would love to go see a game there. Uh, but yeah, breaking the hearts of the Jets fans, a 3-2 loss. Uh, and it makes it 3-2 in the series now for the Blues. I and I think we talked about this last week. I took a lot of heat on Sakaris and Price for it, during Hot Take, yep. saying that the Jets would be the first Canadian team bounced in the playoffs. Now, mind you, the Calgary Flames might be that yeah. team tonight, though. Nobody saw that coming. And and like uh, it's funny because last week I was saying that's such an uncontroversial take, and people just <clears> roasted <throat> me for it. Like yeah, one guy I, told me to like, to like stop, like, 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 quit the industry kind of thing. Well, I, I would hear him out, but <laughs> I, I think <laughs> yeah, there'd be a few that would agree with. That. I think that the the interesting thing here is that not a lot of people, myself included, uh, gave the Jets enough credit once they got healthy. Because the difference with this team, as opposed to the one that limped into the postseason, is they've got a Dustin Bufflin and. Jesus Christ, did you see that hit on Patrick Maroon last night? You're dropping a JC on Good Friday, eh? Okay, sure. Yeah, f*** yeah, dude. Hey, easy now. Um, So did you see that hit, though? I mean, Dustin Bufflin, just he, he ragdolls Patrick Maroon. He's a big dude. I mean, you can talk about whether he's actually a tough guy because he always turtles when fights are supposed to happen, yada, yada. That's a thing among Canucks fans. But that was a huge hit. And, and the bigger addition, though, for me has been Josh Morrissey. I think he's been a real stabilizing presence for that blue line. And it just gives them a, a rounded-out top pair. And, and you think about it, well, you, a team misses their top pair for about a third of the season. Yeah, that's going to hurt your on-ice metrics. So I think that that is why the Blue Jackets, or sorry, the, the Winnipeg Jets, rather, have been able to make more of a series of this than I perhaps gave them credit for originally. I I really like last night's collapse was bad. Yeah, that's Th- a, they're gonna have a tough time coming back from that. Tough time going oh, to St. Yeah. Louis in Game Six to try to uh, even things up and send it to seven. Um, Safe as death. But Truba sa- tried to eat that play and it backfired. But at the same time, though, this like if the Blues are able to pull this off, it's not as big of a shocker to me. The biggest shocker's already been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Blue Jackets, and, and don't get me wrong, like, if you look at the Blue Jackets, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, of course they could beat the Lightning. Pretty good roster. And the way they did it. And, like, they took the, the, the Lightning off their game completely, as Allison uh, talked about No earlier. penalties. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And uh, so let's move on to the uh, 
Hurricanes and the Capitals last night. The Canes, a 2-1 win that evened the series up at two apiece. Let's go back in time to earlier in the week. Uh, the biggest, well, One of the biggest stories of the series was Russian on Russian. Alex Ovechkin, the 30, what's Alex Ovi, 32, something like that, fighting uh, Andrei Svechnikov, not Sergachev, like I said last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Svechnikov. Errors and omissions. <laughs> and uh, the 19-year-old. Um, I, I want to give my take on this whole thing. All right, okay? shoot. Because, first of all, people are like, whoa, Russian fighting a Russian. Well, I mean, we had Ray on the other day, and Ray's like, yeah, well, Canadians fight Canadians all the time. Americans fight Cana- Americans all the time. So I don't know why that is such a, a big thing, but whatever. But the point is this. If you are going to poke the bear, you better look out because you might yeah. get bit. And Svechnikov got bit. I I don't like seeing what happened in terms of how it happened. You know, like you know, the kid's out right now. I know he practiced with the Canes yesterday but clearly didn't play in the game. And I, I don't expect him back for quite a while if they can survive this series. But, I mean... You're going to try to, you know, they both engaged it. They both agreed to it. And at the end of the day, Svechnikov had to pay the price. And, and and I'm not saying that he had to, but he, like, he did because of the fact that they both engaged in it. And, you know, things didn't go well for the youngster. And and further to the point about Russian-on-Russian violence, I mean, Russia is a country of, of I think, close to 30 diff- different ethnic groups. And perhaps there was a, a dispute that way. So it's you're not going to the... bring it into like that. Are you? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Sure. So that, maybe you're right on brand with that. Hear me out. Hear me out. Maybe Sveshnikov was a Tatar. Right. Of Tatar ethnicity. And maybe oh boy, Ovechkin. No, I'm kidding. I'm done with that. I <laughs> any excuse to go into like bizarre, like random esoteric history. My, my, my eyes just glaze over when, and, and probably the listeners as well. Yeah, I mean, like, my, my take on it is fighting in hockey is stupid. I hate fighting in hockey, and that's it. I mean, like... I don't... I, I, okay, I, I don't hate fighting in hockey. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those guys that's like, it's got to go, or and I'm not I one am. of those guys that's like, it's got its place. I'm kind of in the middle, and I, maybe that means I'm sitting on the fence with that, but there's certain situations where, you know... Things boil over, yeah. and it happens. And I think in that, and this is my whole point with the whole thing, was they were engaging one another. They both agreed to do it, mm-hmm. and things boiled over, and unfor- and it was unfortunate what happened to Sveshnikov. I mean, like, here's the thing. If Sveshnikov is old and mature enough to be flying at top speed against Alex Ovechkin in the first place, and he's old enough to fight him, I thought that talk was silly. I, I, I no, don't, there's, yeah, if you're yeah. if you're on the ice, you're old enough to play. Right? Yeah, there's, there's none of that in hockey, and... I just think that, to your point about, like, every now and then there are good fights, and the ones that come to mind for me are, like, Ryan Kessler and Jerome McGinley back in the day. How about or, Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane recently? Yeah, that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, I'll they take just, that. They, 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 they hate it each other. It was passionate, and yeah. it, was, it was great and and entertaining, and I'd lie if I said it wasn't. Or or Vinny LeCavalier and, again, Jerome McGinley. Yeah. But I, I just think that preserving the opportunity for that to happen at the expense of of Derek Bugard of Rick Rippon of all these these enforcers who's who suffered very dangerous long-term health consequences as a result of constantly getting hit in the head that's where the the incongruity for me is is that I don't think it's worth preserving those fights at the expense of of those people and and that's that's my big take on fighting I'm not I'm not going to get on a high horse and pretend I, I don't get jacked up when I see a good hockey fight, but I also get extremely, uh, I guess, unengaged in the product when I see two goons, and this is being phased this out. Doesn't ha- this yeah. doesn't happen anymore, though. Yeah, right? it's being like, phased out this, completely. It's the heat of the moment stuff that I'm okay with. Now, do I want to see a player like Svechnikov get a concussion and no. fall to the ice the way that, you know, but the thing is, too, is like, what the hell are you thinking fighting Ovechkin? I mean, he's like a Russian bear. He's a power forward. It's so funny. Like, all these conversations about analytic speed skill. Ovechkin, to me, at 5-on-5 five five is a is a power forward. Yeah. Like, the way he plays the game, he throws thunderous Ovi's checks. Game. Love it. Oh, yeah. And if, if you haven't come around on him yet, just stop listening. Like, listen no, to another don't, podcast. Don't, yeah, give up we, on hockey. If you don't like Alex Ovechkin's game, give up on hockey. We don't want your listenership, period. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I think that this one is a big nothing burger in terms of the controversy that people are trying to create out of it. I think the only controversy for me is, you know, why are they allowed to do this in the first place? But even so, I've, I've made my point, and I don't think that this one... Uh, advances that cause in any respect for me. I just think that it's unfortunate what happened to Sveshnikov, and and hopefully he recovers soon. He was on the ice for Carolina yesterday at practice, at least. So that's a start. And and you know I I think the bigger story for me in this 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 battle between Carolina and Washington has been 
It, it, you know, Braden Holpe has been playing fine, but Petr Mrazek has been playing out of his mind across from him. Like, yeah. he's he's putting together a hell of a series, and it kind of goes to show, and, and we're going to kind of bring it back to the Canucks a little bit here, kind of goes to show that maybe the Canucks don't need to give Jacob Markstrom a long-term extension this summer ahead of next year when he's an unrestricted free agent. Look at some of the best goalies in the NHL this year. Petr Mrazek isn't among them. He was closer to a league average, whatever. But you've got players like Thomas Grice, who was a backup for years, and then he finally got a shot with the Isles, and, and he's putting it together behind a good defense. You look at Robin Leonard. That is a perfect example. Just picked up off the scrap heap. Excellent goaltender. Same with Petr Mrazek. Signed to a one-year show-me deal, and he is showing us, showing the world, that he can be an NHL goaltender, and I love his personality. I love the way he celebrates wins, the way he, he seems to get like just so amped up to play his position, and you don't see that from goaltenders. And I know that this isn't material to the series. It's it's completely unrelated, but I just think that that is a fun aspect of the way that Petr Mrazek plays the position, and he's somebody who, to me, emphasizes the fact that you don't need to spend big on goaltenders. Yeah, and speaking of goaltenders, that was one of the issues in the San Jose uh, Vegas Golden Knights oh, series. It is an issue. And it continues to be Martin Jones kind of up and down, as are the Sharks. The Sharks able to stave off elimination. Love the fact that we can use that word uh, during the playoffs. A 3-2 series lead for VGK right now, uh, but a 5-2 win last night for the Sharks. Martin Jones got the starting goal, which some people were wondering, was it going to be Aaron Dell? Was it going to be Martin Jones? Talk uh, about pick your poison. And Jones ends up uh, getting the <laughs> W last night. Um one of the uh, we, since we only do this once a week, we weren't able to talk about the Joe Thornton uh, suspension, which was for one game. Were you okay with that suspension? Yeah, yeah, I was. I I think that Joe Thornton isn't a dirty player, but he he made a dirty play, right? And and yeah. I think that you can you can actually those two thoughts aren't. And he knew what he was here. doing in that play. Oh, hundred well. yeah. percent. That was, was no he, flyby. He like, was oh, pissed off. Like, look me. at the score. Yeah, he yeah. knew what he was doing, and and it's unfortunate because I don't expect that type of hockey from Joe Thornton. You know what I do expect, or not necessarily expect, but I want for Joe Thornton. I want him to get that Stanley Cup, man. Like, that's what yeah, I cheer for every I, I, postseason. This, this Sharks team does not have what it takes to win a Stanley Cup this year. I think they do in every really? aspect except for in goal. Their their defense has been shoddy. With Brent Burns, I know, like, you would, like, people are like, what? You got Burns, you got Carlson, you know, Mark Edward Vlasic's back in the series now. But, man, Carlson and, and, and Burns have been turnstiled throughout this series with the speed of the Golden Knights. They're and, not getting a stop, though. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I, I, I but they, bet. But that's, but that's the Sharks all season long, right? Yeah. I think they gave up the most uh, breakaway chances in all of the league. I think it was something like 17 goals allowed. I, I've been. Stats guys will probably be... You know. Well, we don't usually track this stuff. So it's like proprietary, <laughs> right? So yeah. I think Doug Wilson was one of the ones who said that I'm not as concerned because of the, the High risk, high reward, those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And But ultimately, they're not getting enough goaltending. I mean, if you're going to play that style, you can't rely on Martin Jones to be the last line of defense. I mean, the thing that I thought last night when I was watching that game and San Jose was playing, and, and even when Martin Jones is making a save, even when he's keeping the puck out of the net, and we haven't had many instances of that in this postseason, he does not inspire confidence. Like, just watching him play the position scares the hell out well, of me. Well, he also doesn't look like, yeah, not only does not inspire it, he also doesn't really look all that confident No, he doesn't well, project right? it with his, yeah. his I mean, we're getting into body language now, we're getting into into Pierre territory, but, but now you're shaking your head, but come on, that, that was a good one, that was funny. But um, I, I think that that's the big issue, and for me, the thing that really pisses me off is the Sharks are all in. This is it. This is their one shot at a Stanley yeah. Cup. Yeah, it's going to be an Eric interesting Carlson, off season. UFA. Yeah. Joe Pavelski, UFA. Joe Thornton, UFA. Yeah. On and down the list, their prospect pool is starting to thin out, not because they can't draft well, but because they're running out of picks, they're running out of prospects from all these trades. they got to make hay. And, and to that exact end, if you're the San Jose Sharks and you're looking at this season and you're going, this is it, this is our one shot, Give up the extra pick for, like, a Jacob Markstrom. Give up the extra pick for a Jimmy Howard. Who cares about the price? I'm being serious. Who cares about the price? Yeah, Is Markstrom, it, I never really thought about that. Markstrom in San Jose, eh? I, why not? I mean, it's better than Aaron Dell. You don't have to go out there and get Sergey Bobrovsky, but get somebody who can stop a puck. Yeah, but they're stuck with Martin Jones for what? I mean, he's signed right now for the next four or five years 
Uh, actually, he's got six years remaining on his deal. That includes this year at 5.75. Holy. Aaron Dell is a free agent in 2021 at 1.9. You can I include Dell as part of the package going I, the other way, I right? Okay, sure. Dell can go the other way. What, what are you going to do with Martin Jones? And not only that, I mean, what's Jacob Markstrom right now, if Martin Jones can, it can get 5.7, then what can uh, Jacob Markstrom get on the market this year? That that not would this be, year, sorry, it would be the year after. Yeah, that wouldn't even matter to the Sharks because that that's my perspective. Is that they had? But then to, you'd be looking at like eight million dollars in goaltending. Just trade Markstrom before next season if you have to, or buy out Jones or whatever. Do something because I mean Jones isn't playing well enough to earn his contract, and he he's in fact he's been so bad that he might be buyout worthy this summer. Ouch! Wow. He's been so he was a sub nine hundred goaltender this season. Yeah, they have a. This is going to be a very interesting off season for the Sharks. I don't like their chances in the series. I think the Golden I, I Knights. I think Golden Knights do. I think Golden Knights finish this off uh, in six. All right, let's switch gears now to what's going to happen tonight. Here we are, like as we said, April nineteenth. Just two games on the slate: uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins. Yeah, yeah. With there an you eye go. in there. Not, there you go. Yeah, there you see. I said it right. Uh, and the Colorado Avalanche and the Calgary Flames. Uh, let's start with Toronto, Boston, uh, the Cadre suspension. We didn't have a chance to talk about that because, uh, it happened during the week as well. Um, all right. I mean, everybody knows which, uh, what, what colors I wear when it comes to this, but, uh, my God, Nas, like, I mean, it's almost like I, I, I tweeted afterwards, uh, you know, Nas, you blank idiot. Uh, and I feel like I can just like cut and paste that and just put it every single year in the playoffs because, he just can't control himself. And when they bait him into that, he takes the bait every single time. I Like, what is he doing chasing Jake DeBrusque? Yeah, he's a, a plug. I mean, I shouldn't say no, I plug. mean, Jake DeBrusque, DeBrusque is a fine player. He's a good player. Sorry, that, that's the wrong word. But, I mean, Nas is more important to the Leafs than DeBrusque is to the Bruins. Absolutely. And and if you look at the importance of Nazem Kadri, it's that he is a buffer in that middle six that they wouldn't otherwise have because you go to that fourth line. And I'm sorry, man, the Toronto Maple Leafs fourth line to me doesn't inspire confidence. What? You got f- you, clearly you're not watching the games. Freddie Gauthier. They've been fantastic. Come on, man. Are you going to play them? 12, 13 minutes a but night they've been confidently. Good, Trevor Moore's been good. Trevor Moore's been fine. But they've I'm been sa- good. Freddie Gauthier's been good. Would they, you the- bank on that for an extended period of time? No, but I'm just saying, they're giving good minutes. Like, to, to, to completely write them off, they're not. They, they bring speed. And they, they, they Goche good. doesn't bring speed. No, Goche doesn't bring speed. But they have <laughs> He's like good. their Brendan Goss. We're fighting over a fourth line here. No, I mean. no, no. What I'm saying, though, is that I'm not going to expect them to hold up over seven games. And the, the added bonus of Kadri was that the or sorry the Leafs didn't have to play that fourth line for more than like eight minutes a game. Yeah, they've got Nylander playing down the middle right now. Exactly. To, to fill you the know Bob, yeah. Babcock hates that. Yeah. You know he hates yeah. that. Yeah. And well, there was talk oh, that, that it was going to be Marlowe. Yeah, oh, no, not not, not at 39 years old. I mean, Nylander, man, what can you say about him? Because he's had some moments this playoffs where I've just been like, dude, well, where, had the, one where the fuck there is your in, head uh, at? Yeah, like, where, where was it, game two? He game just checked out for a period. Yeah. Like, he just completely checked out. And, and, and I'm not going to go, like, king hot take and be like, this is why you can't win with Nylander, yada, yada. But, I mean, descriptively speaking, he was terrible. Uh, now, full marks to Nylander because he actually picked it up and he played a lot better. After that moment, I mean, full credit to him, but there were some pretty grim moments there for, for he's, he's kind of, he's like the ride the wave sort of player. Right. It's up and down. Uh, he's, I mean, but the thing is, he put himself behind the eight ball by, you know, holding out for so long, right? And people, you know, oh, what, he came back in December, he should be good by now. But, I mean, it takes a long season to guys to get, to get guys going, and it took yeah. him forever to get going. And we're kind of still seeing it right now. A little bit, yeah, I think so. Like the 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 fumbled puck at his own net, I think yeah, that's that an instance brutal. where it's just like a, a guy who's not not quite feeling it, right? And and that's that's been interesting. I think the key for this series, though, in totality, is is Austin Matthews, and it's got to be encouraging if you're a Leafs fan seeing Austin Matthews get it together in that that pivotal game four. Was it game four where he had the the yeah. goal? Yeah, he switched sticks. Yeah. And and that's important because Austin Matthews wasn't quite himself to begin the series, and and he's the he he drives the bus in Toronto. I yeah, think. no, there's a he, lot of talent there, but he's yeah. the one that stirs the drink. But they have exactly like you can have Marner do Marner things all you want, but you you gotta have Matthews if you want to win the series. Now let's go on the other side of the coin though and look at the Bruins. Yeah, uh, 
<laughs> David Pasternak woke up in game four. That's bad news. And that's bad news for the Leafs. I don't think people understand how good David Pasternak is. He's only Pasternak. 22. He's only 22. He's from the Vertanen draft. The Canucks passed him over. Twice. Twice. Yeah, twice. And, and twice. if you combine now, the value. Twice. don't get me wrong. A lot of teams passed him over. Yeah, yeah. But the Canucks I... had two shots. Two shots at him. Yeah, I know. That one's like more funny, I guess, than than to their detriment. But yeah, he's an exceptional player. I think he's like a top ten winger for me in the NHL. Oh, hands yeah. A hundred percent. And and what was interesting was the fact that the Bruins have kind of changed had to change things up. They've had to separate that top line of pasta. Bergeron. Well, they and did Marchand. for a bit, but then they then they then the and gang then got back together. They got yeah. the gang back together as Pasternak got going, and then it was they started to click instantly. And whether they won the hockey game immediately or not, that for me is scary. If I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, because there's still a lot of hockey left to be played. It's a best of three series now. That might be one of, if not the best lines in hockey. And if they're firing on all cylinders, you need the depth. You need Nazem Kadri. It's coming full circle. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if you if how you felt about the suspension length because like uh, who cares at this it's, point? It's right? whatever. Like it is what it is. Uh, whether people want to say it was enough or whatever. I mean, when he is a repeat offender, there are always those questions. But as the series progresses now, I think that's really the storyline. Is is it's let's get away from Kadri and just get back onto what's happening on the ice. Uh, shift gears now to uh, Colorado and Calgary. Another huge surprise here. The number one team in the West. We got the number one team in the East. Whoop, gone. Now yeah. the number one team in the West on the ropes against a Colorado team that you want to talk about firing on all cylinders and you want to talk about a stupid good top line. Yeah. Oh, my. Nate McKinnon's on another level right now. Miko Rantanen is just doing Rantanen things right now. Like like I, the game-winning goal against I, I love I love this Avs team. And then, of course, uh, again, Kale McCarr makes his NHL debut, has that great goal. By the way, uh, and I don't know if, if anyone hasn't heard it. I know we get the Canadian feeds out here. But go and listen to the NBC call with Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro. Uh, formerly of TSN? Yeah, formerly of TSN. On that call, they nailed that call. So great. Uh, you know, kind of encapsulated the moment for young Kale McCarr. Uh, what a debut. I know we're going to, you know, kind of jab at the Canucks a little bit here because, you know, Kale McCarr walks out of uh, NCAA hockey mm-hmm. right onto NHL rink and whoop, second power play yeah. uh, just like that. And uh, he ends up producing for the Avalanche, who now have the Flames on the ropes, uh, ropes 3-1 with a chance to douse the flames douse the fire tonight in cowtown you know what's interesting to me about this series is that i thought if calgary could get even average okay suspect as it may be average goaltending they might have a chance or not might have a chance they would win the series handily what am i talking about it's way too early no they would win the series handily here's what's been interesting mike smith has played excellent hockey save for one game he's had one off day other than that he has been pretty effing good now i think the interesting thing uh, about how colorado has been able to kind of put calgary at the brink has been that they've done it by playing calgary flames hockey they're scoring off the rush they're creating rush chances uh, a good friend of mine andrew berkshire had a great article on this and he was detailing how the calgary flames have been bottled up through the neutral zone through the rush you look at johnny godreau he seems very frustrated throughout this series is not at his best And meanwhile, the Colorado Avalanche have been pushing pace. They've been playing at a high tempo. And we talk about how good that top line is. They didn't have a lot of center depth throughout the lineup otherwise. And what we're seeing is Alex Kerfoot is stepping up in a big way for this team. And and, but the the, the Avs needed to just come out in the black in their their bottom nine, right? They didn't need to to win that matchup. They just had to, to get by. And that top line could take over. And I think we're seeing that right now. We're seeing that Kerfoot stepped up. We're seeing that Broussard's been better than many expected after the deadline. We're seeing Soderberg hold up. And that, for me, has been the difference because they've let the top line do their work by just keeping the abs in it for the, the 30 or so minutes that they're not out there. So it's it's been interesting to see the Flames just completely get beat with their own game. And to that uh, to that effect, to see the Colorado Avalanche so masterfully do this and... I mean, full marks to Jared Bednar because he did this last year, too. Remember the Avalanche? They put up a hell of a fight in that first-round series. And, and 
he he just seems like you give him some time to prep for the opponent and he's going to put it to good use and and you're seeing I think a bit of the the coaching effect take over here whereas Bill Peters this is his first playoff game as a head coach and I think that he's kind of grasping at straws a little bit. I still, I think the world of Bill Peters is a coach, but I think he's losing this matchup right now with Jared Bednar. And the funny thing about this is everybody wanted to question the Flames' goaltending, but it's Mike Smith that's actually kept them, you know, relatively yeah, that's, that's, in the series. That's what I'm saying, man. He's and, had and, one bad game. And the Flames, uh, who I believe were the least uh, had the, allowed the least shots on goal mm-hmm. in the NHL through the regular season, I, I I'm pretty sure they were number one in that. In the last two games alone, 108 shots on goal for Mike Smith, and and of course in the uh, in the one game where they uh, the Avs kind of blew him out, uh, they were wondering, you know, hey Mike Smith, should you go back in? And he and Bill Peters asked him, and Smith said, yeah, no, I want to get back in there. So kudos to Mike Smith because of the fact that we, you know, everybody questioned it. Hey, can they can they get through? You know, with this goaltending, whether it's going to be uh, Riddick or. Uh, Smith and Smith's been, you know, the one shining moment or spot for the Flames. Whereas, you know, the top line for those guys, like Johnny Goudreau, as good as Johnny Hockey is, he's been invisible in this series. Not only that, turning over pucks like crazy. Yeah, and and for me, the the more concerning thing is he's just he's shying away from contact. And I know the physical limitations on a Johnny Goudreau, but. I, I, you know, I did my top 93, and one of the things I look for with smaller players when I'm projecting them to the NHL level is, do they shy away from contact? Not do they go out and look to engage in it, but are they afraid? Are they playing afraid with the puck? Are they afraid to make that extra pass if it's going to result in a hit? And we're seeing that from Johnny Goodrow, somebody who usually would be able to avoid that type of contact. It wouldn't be an issue, right? Like, somebody who could outmaneuver the opposition is now wiltering in the face of opposition, and that's concerning for me. And nobody else has really picked up the slack for this team. And, and the hockey's been excellent. I think we should actually say that. If, if you want to talk about which series has been the best, for me it's been the Avs. And, really? Yeah, in terms of viewing. It's just been back and forth. Yeah. It's just like a, it's, it's an absolute highway of a hockey match with both teams going full throttle. It's just that the Flames have been far less effective at it at, relative to where they at, were at in the, the regular season. Now, it's funny you brought up Mike Smith again because we were talking about the Sharks making that poor bet on Martin Jones and it totally blowing up in their face. Another team that I would have qualified as needing to make a better bet in net is the Calgary Flames, and they're kind of winning with their bet on Mike Smith. So kind of interesting there. One team rewarded for its convictions, the other getting absolutely hammered for it, right? It's, it's hockey. It's unpredictable. And, and further to that end, actually, and kind of going on a tangent here, Martin Jones did have a great run that one year, so who knows? Maybe he'll bounce back. But getting back to this series, I just think that Calgary has to get back to playing their game if they're going to win, and Johnny Gaudreau has got to step up, and he's got to show his teammates that he's in this and stop getting frustrated, stop throwing the tantrums, stop running away from hits. Uh, you know, I'm, I might be sounding old school right here, but I want to see Goodrow throw a hit. I yeah. remember the Canucks back in the day. One of the big storylines when I was, you know, a, a young and not was, even just like like just battle, just, just battle, battle. Harder yeah, for yeah. The puck. yeah. I remember Marcus Naslin. He never got a lot of credit for being a physical player, but the thing that always impressed me was in hound that, in that first. Well, yes, he is a hound for the puck. He's yeah. very fast, but in the first game of every series. You'd check, and he'd be really high in hits, and then you'd go, actually, yeah, Marcus Naslin did leave a physical dent, and didn't make sense, but that's what you want. You want your players to lead. You want your stars to lead, and and Johnny Goodrow's got to step up in that sense, right? I don't want to be hot take McGee over here, but he hasn't been good enough, and he hasn't been strong enough a leader for that team to rally around, and he's their best offensive player. So for me, the big storyline, get Goodrow going, and you might have a series. Okay, so put you on the spot. Can they win three in a row? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I think okay. the talent deficit is big enough that they can do it. Yeah, and they have been getting good production from uh, Giordano as well. So the, the, the captain has definitely been there. <laughs> he just for gets them. better with age. Yeah, I love that guy. Uh, okay, so let's tr- transition into the final series. Uh, and it's the kind of the one that's sort of flying under the radar uh, Dallas and Nashville. They play tomorrow night in game five. The series nodded at two games apiece right now. It's been a one goal series, or one, yeah, one goal games for the first three games. And then we get a blowout in game four when Dallas on home ice uh, spanks the Preds five to one. Uh, your thoughts on this series? And it, it's kind of a pick em, is it not? Yeah, it is. I, I didn't think that would be the case going into this, but yeah, it's 100% a pick em. And, and what's interesting for me is that Dallas didn't really, like of all the underdogs, I think Dallas had the worst shot. 
because they don't have the forward depth. Yeah, they're a one-line team. They're a one-line team, yeah. 100%. They don't even have, like, a, an Alex Kerfoot stepping up in the moment, right? Like, they've got Rupa Hints. Yeah, after their top line, and, of course, we talked about this before, their best offensive producers are on the back end. Yeah, 100%. And the one thing, though, is that you can never count out a team with a good goalie. And I think Ben Bishop is a legitimate Vesna yeah, candidate, if not goalie. the guy who's going to win the trophy. And he's been he's been amazing in this series, whereas Pecorine has been good. And had one showing of, of pretty bad goaltending. So I think that goaltending is a great equalizer in hockey. Show me a good coach, I'll show you a good goaltender, that old saying. And I think we're seeing a bit of that in Dallas. I, I This is the one that really fa- uh, flabbergasts me. Like I, I don't know how Dallas is doing it because Nashville's deeper at forward. They're deeper on their back end. I would, in, in a small series with experience coming into the equation, I would give Pecorine a... Slight edge in net, even based on their work this season, I would give him an edge in net just because he's done it before and he's he's more predictable than Ben Bishop, who also struggles to stay healthy. That has to be taken into account as well. Uh, this one, they got I, Hudobin though. They have a they have a good yeah, backup. they have a good plan B, yeah. no doubt about that. But it's just I I'm kind of and admittedly this is the series series I've probably seen the least of. I I have been very confused by how the stars have done it. Uh, one thing that I do have to add, because both of you and I have been ex-targets in our day, we both attended uh, goal uh, in the past, Pecorine's navy blue with the yellow stripe pads <laughs> are absolute fire. I know we both yeah. love the Mike's. Did we both love the Mike Smith mask? I think we agreed I was, last week. I was on the fence. You just don't I'm, like the ears. I know. I get I'm that. coming around on it, actually. Like, love the, more, the throwback. I love that mask, actually. Mike Vernon yeah. throwback, for those that don't know, uh, with Mike Smith's mask. I've come I, full circle. I a, like it. A lot of goalies nowadays, I know Kevin Woodley explains that a lot of goalies like to wear the white pads because of the way the boards are behind you. Less to it, see it hides. In the net. Yeah, yeah. But I love, me, myself, if I was playing goal in the NHL, I would have colored pads and Pecorine's re, re, to me are are the best going right now. All right, so let's get into some quick hitters here. We got just about uh, 15 minutes or, or so to go here in the pod, so let's get into some quick stories that are happening around the NHL, uh, starting with uh, Alain Vigneault, who is now back in the NHL. We old had friend. Him on, uh, old friend. We had him on Sakaris and Price, uh, I want to say last week, after he got announced as the head coach of Canada's World Hockey uh, Championship team. We, you know, poked and prodded, tried to get him to... Uh, give us some some goods on where he perhaps might end up if he was going to be back in the NHL. Mm-hmm. None of the insiders had this. The Flyers broke it themselves. Uh, Elaine Vigneault uh, back in the NHL with the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, I think, first of all, he's got the golden ticket when it comes to all the places that he's coached. He starts in Montreal. He goes to Vancouver. He goes to New York. Now he's in Philadelphia. Only the best hockey markets. Right? He's very selective. I think Elaine Vigneault, he gets a bad rap, especially from New York Not Rangers. in this city, he doesn't. People no, no, love we, him. we miss him. Yeah. Uh, but Such a great interview, too. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he he's yeah. got character for a coach. And yeah. I think that the big issue with Vigneault has always been he's an excellent X's and O's coach. He's excellent at making adjustments with his roster. It's just that you have to take away his toys sometimes, and his toys in uh, Vancouver, for example, would be an Aaron Rome. His toys in New York would be a Dan Girardi playing close to 25 minutes a night when he was clearly toast, right? So if you take away those vices from Elaine Vigneault and just let him coach based on a good set of players available to him, I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Easily top five, I think. I'm that confident in his quality as a coach. And look at what he's done. I mean, he goes to, to New York and they're instantly in the Stanley Cup Finals. He comes to Vancouver, he has to change his entire game, win over a new general manager, and they're one game away from his Stanley Cup. I mean, he's he's done it at every level, and, and he's somebody who I have a great deal of faith in. And I look at this Philadelphia Flyers roster, they're ready to turn a corner. They really are. Absolutely. Like, look at their defense. They're yeah. all 25 and younger. All yeah. the good pieces are 25 and younger. Although I look at Andrew McDonald and I, I just think to myself, he's got Dan Girardi pegged all over him. He's yeah, going to play way too much. But then you also look at players like Ivan Provorov, who had just a down season. Yeah. But do I expect him to have a bounce back year next year. A yeah. good point producer in the back end. Norris uh, potential, I think. Nolan Patrick still hasn't hit. Yeah. Uh, his ceiling yet, uh, and of course Claude Giroux, one of the best players in the league. Uh, they've got they've got some talent there. Uh, goaltending always an issue in Carter Philadelphia, Hart, but now they got Carter Hart yeah. exactly. So uh, we'll see where things go for them. I mean, it's funny because the best goalie they've had. I mean, I guess you could say since uh, Carter Hart has arrived, I want to say was Hextall. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's been a while, right? I mean, I know they made some Stanley Cup. Fi- they made a Stanley Cup final with Michael Layton. Exactly. You can call him its goaltender, um, Michael Layton. With, with, like, Michael Layton, Layton, and Net, not in night. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and before that, of course, uh, Pelly Limberg, who of course we lost too soon. Who uh, I don't. You're probably a little too young. I don't even uh, know to who remember Pelly Limberg. Pelly Limberg was going to be one of the greatest goalies in NHL history, oh. and then he had a car accident uh, and lost his life. But uh, he was just. I loved him as a child. Uh, I'm just up. going through all the the Flyers netminers that I can remember. The Robert Eshes, yep. the uh, Turk Mannix, was it? Czech Mannix. Czech Mannix. Czech yep. Mannix. Yeah. The yeah. list goes on and on. And Taro Nidamaki. Uh, it's been a lot. Didn't they have like six goalies this year or something like that go through the system? I think they went through actually like eight. Okay. Eight goalies started a game for the Philadelphia Flyers this season. The other hiring this week, uh, Todd McClellan is back in the, well, not back in the NHL because he kind of just left. but uh, He's back he's, in Southern California. In, yeah, and he's with the Kings. Um, what do you think of this hire? I find it to be kind of interesting. I don't know what the appeal is for Todd McClellan because that Kings roster is, and you give me a hard time when I swear, but I think the only word to describe it is that LA Kings roster is f- Like they don't have a hope in hell of turning it around in one year, two years, three years. That's a rebuild. That is a rebuild, full stop. And they've got some nice pieces on the way. I like Rasmus Kupari. Uh, if Gabe Velarde can actually return to hockey, and that's a huge if because he's got back injuries that threaten his career, period, that's a that's a big add, but that's a huge question mark as well. Mikey Anderson on the blue line. They're Kovalchuk. Fine. The Kovalchuk deal just reeks. It, it's looking pretty bad right now, but I, to, to that exact end. you think end, that McClellan can get more out of him than – I know uh, Willie D was almost like we're tanking. Like it, oh, yeah, it, yeah. it was almost like we're just we're throwing – I shouldn't say tanking, but we're just throwing this season away – you know, get Willie what else here. is he good for? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if Willie find, I don't think Willie Willie Desjardins going to be a head coach in the NHL again. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a bench somewhere. I but, don't uh, think he. I think he's done. You think so, eh? It's it's gone so poorly for him, and you know what the the shame about Willie Desjardins is? is I think still got Fanuf's contract too. Like, that's what I'm oh. saying. That Kings team is doomed. They are doomed. They are the Canucks in 2014-15. Who knows? Maybe McClellan can force another playoff series out of this roster, but they're done. Like, there's a lot they of have guys to rebuild. getting paid on this team. Like Tyler Toffoli makes four six. I'm okay still, with Toffoli. Yeah, I mean. but I mean, I'm just saying. Like you got a ten million dollar Kopitar. You got a six point two uh, Kovalchuk. You got a five point eight Dustin Brown. You got a five point two Jeff Carter. You got a seven million dollar Drew Doughty. A five point two Dion Phaneuf. Like four million for Alec Martinez. Like this team, and then of course That's a Jonathan lot Quick of good money eight. for bad. Jonathan Quick at five eight for how many more years? Like, oh wow! Like, he's he's not a UFA till twenty three, twenty four. Like, oh, they got to move Jonathan Quick this summer, and I think that the fact that they've had Jack Campbell emerge and he had such a good season. What a story that is! Eleventh overall pick, completely, uh, completely falls apart once he gets to the Dallas Stars system. Apparently, he had no goalie coaching. That's what the goalie. Hive mind is telling me he was such a like. Remember that World Juniors? Yeah, Holy crap! Yeah. That was the best performance I've ever seen by a goaltender in that tournament. Yeah, and it's up there for sure. Yeah, he gets some coaching in Los Angeles and he finds his game. So like power to him. Between him and Cal Peterson, the Kings are set in goal and relatively young in goal too. They've got to move Jonathan Quick. They've got to move on from Jeff Carter. They've got to move on from Dustin Brown. They need to dive headfirst into this rebuild, and the reason that they have to start it immediately is so that they can be good again at some point while Kopitar and Doughty are still relatively close to their primes, because that ship has sailed. I just hope they have a lot of patience with Todd McClellan, because they're going to have to, because (laughs) it's not going to be his fault if this team continues to struggle down the stretch, or or not down the stretch, but throughout the years, the next few years. That roster's doomed. Yeah, you're going to have to make some serious moves and... Whether they can with a lot of those players is going to be interesting. Um, other news just came down today. Steve Eiserman now back in Detroit. Uh, your thoughts on this? I mean, it was like one of those secrets that everybody knew was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, everybody knew that was going to happen. What everybody didn't know was that Ken Holland was going to stay on board as a president. And I think that the the kind of backstory of this one is that it's, you know, the the happiest person today is probably Mike Gillis. Because he wants to be a president. He doesn't want to be a GM. I, I think Gillis is going to end up with the Rangers. I think Edmonton. 
We'll we'll get back to okay. this. Yeah, we'll get back to this at some point, and maybe we'll have a bet on it. But my bet is on Edmonton. Oh, uh, yeah, let's make a bet on it. What, okay. A, a beer or something? A six-pack. Six-pack. Okay, Done. cool. I've got Edmonton. You've got Virtual New York. handshake. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go somewhere else, we'll just have a beer at some point. Uh, not yet determined. Okay. Uh, a peace treaty of sorts for all the Bruins and, banter. And none of this, like, you know, you know, I want something nice crafty. Yeah, okay. okay. I can do that. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Some crafty okay. PBR. Uh, so I, I think that... <laughs> Mike Gillis is the one who, who comes out of this best of all because Ken Holland was his main competition for that president's job. And we talked about this a bit last week. Mike Gillis isn't going to settle. He doesn't have to settle. He said he wants to be a president. He wants to be the one who forms his front office, yeah, no, one Mike, GM, yeah, four Mike AGMs. Yeah, not going to be a GM again. No. He's, he's got president uh, written all over him. Uh, when he was on uh, TSN 1040 for yeah. the Wednesdays with, with Sakarison Price, uh, the way he broke down how he sees a front office just screamed president. Oh, totally. And and he has the, the intelligence for it. And oh, absolutely. So I know I, he takes a lot of heat in this market, but... Undeserved. Undeserved. At, like the absolute best GM. In Not the, the best. And I know people always go back to the draft. Donnie Taylor loves to just rip him on his drafting, and, and rightfully so. I saw someone break down all of Mike Gillis's drafts. It was the worst it, draft it's horrible. in that span. It's horrible. Yeah. But when you sit and listen to the way that he's been sort of developing his ideas, the way he's been studying different sports, I mean, he's ready to step back into a position. I know we're going off a little bit on Gillis when we're trying to talk about Iserman, but I, I just think that he is the yeah. big winner of today. And, yeah. and like the Detroit Red Wings as well. Because look at what Steve Eiserman did in Tampa Bay. I mean, we joke about nepotism in the NHL because it's it's present. It's there. Holy crap. Look at what uh, Fenton did in, in Minnesota. He fires just about everybody after a horrible year of executive decisions and then hires his son as a lead scout or something like that. Believe me, the, the jokes are well earned. But to that exact same point, you have to give credit when it works out, when somebody actually puts in the work and earns the gig. Steve Eiserman is that person. And he's done such a good job with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He totally overhauled their drafting. He overhauled their uh, front office with player personnel, decision makers, and and the way that that team, well, here we go again. They, they embraced analytics as part of their decision making, and they were one of the first teams. It sounds so stupid in retrospect and simple, but they were one of the first teams that realized you don't need to go for six foot five players. As long as they can score, they're worthy. And they, they kind of exploited that market inefficiency, and they did it to such an insane degree that the, their team is entirely made up of players they've drafted, certainly in the core. So I think that this is excellent news for the Detroit Red Wings, who always had a good scouting staff in place. I mean, you look at the history of that team built on Zetterberg and Datsuk, some late-round finds, and I believe the person who found them is still on that staff. And you look at what they've been doing in recent drafts. I wasn't keen on the Michael Rasmussen selection, but... They've been doing a great job in the middle rounds, and and I really think that they're a team that could turn things around in the next three years and come oh, out absolutely. of this as a contender. Yeah, the me... only problem is the the contracts that Ken Holland is leaving on the books, like yeah. the Abdulkaders, yeah. the the Franz Nielsen's. That's going to be the big hurdle but, for I Steve Eiserman. If you're Steve Eiserman, like you're walking into ten draft picks alone this year. Are you allowed to do that? Five in the first three rounds. Are you allowed to do that? Three second round picks. That has to be against the CBA. <laughs> that's called uh, <laughs> that's called setting yourself up well. And uh, I mean, we all knew that Stevie Y was, you know, eventually going to go back home. I guess you would say, yeah. Even though he's a good BC boy, uh, he's back in uh, in the Motor City. And uh, Stevie Y would never work with the Aquilinis. <laughs> oh no, 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 <laughs> like no never in a million no, years. No, 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 no. There was no, there was no we, way we spoke was about Gillis happen. getting to choose his destination. I think Iserman has that plus ten. You know what I mean? Like he's earned that that right. All right, so let's uh, let's shift gears now and talk about uh, some Canucks related stories. And of course, the World Hockey Championships are coming up, uh, and the U.S. announced uh, a seventeen-player roster list that included Thatcher Demko and. Quinn Hughes, your thoughts? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, Thatcher Demko has been there before. Quinn Hughes was on the roster as a draft-eligible player, the first person who had done that since I think it was Brian Rafalski. And, again, you just keep talking about, uh, you know, omens of the quality of player this is. Here's another one. Quinn Hughes playing at the World Hockey Championships as a draft-plus-one player. I mean... All this does for me is reaffirm my convictions that, that Quinn Hughes is going to be an absolute franchise-changing center. And, 
You know what? I give oh, wait, wait. franchise changing center. Sorry, defenseman. Where okay. was I going with that? That's it's too brother. early. That's his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And yeah, it's like before noon here, so Mr. Millennial is like scatterbrained. I, I love the fact that everybody at the station just loves to like show their ass with how old they are. They're like, Mr. Millennial. You could be a millennial in your 30s. Anyway, anyway. What about your 40s? No. Okay. You're cut off. Uh, so, like, the, the interesting thing for me, like, we give Jim Benning a very hard time for all of the <clears throat> questionable things that he will say, but to that exact ex- same end, when he was asked by another podcast, you know, you don't expect Quinn Hughes to be Elias Pettersson all over again. And he stops that person short and goes, I'm expecting that, though. That, to me, was awesome. I, I love that soundbite. I loved hearing that confidence. For once, I think he connected with the fan base. I really do. I think he, he kind of, whether by accident or, or on purpose, found a way to kind of channel that energy and, and into one really great soundbite that I think we're going to be playing for, for all of next season. I think that's going to be something that we'll revisit a lot because that's where I stand on Quinn Hughes. I think he can be that player. I think he can really kind of change the dynamic of this this group. And and you know what? I'm really excited to see him at the, the U, not the U18, sorry. I got the draft on my mind at yeah. the World Hockey Championships because I think he's going to be a game breaker. Uh, how about Thatcher Demko, though? I mean, Corey Schneider is in uh, on the roster as well. And uh, Ray Ferraro was saying yesterday, like, look, if a guy like Corey Schneider, ex-Canuck, of course, mm-hmm. is going to co- go to the World Hockey Championships at his age, he's not just going to sit there with a ball cap on. He'll be given the first shot at it, and then we'll, they'll go from there. So, but Demko has a chance to win that job. Yeah, and you've got seven round robin games in the well, a World Hockey Championship, so he'll definitely get his uh, time and goal. But I mean, I think it's Schneider's to lose. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I, I think that Demko has what it takes to win that job. No, I think so too. I because think because so I, I. I also think that Schneider has what it takes to lose that job. Look well, up. but he was good down the stretch for the Devils. I know he. It took him forever to get that that win. Yeah, it took him like what, <laughs> over a year, a year. to over get a, a win. Year. But he was good for the Devils down the stretch. I mean, I, I, I mean, I dealt with Corey when he first was with the team in the 2011 run. I was in the uh, dressing room quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, and I really liked talking to Corey Schneider at that time. Good the, dude. That, that Canucks team was not the easiest team to like. Let's be honest about that. Uh, they 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 had a lot of attitude. Kessler had. If an you were a Canucks the fan, they were easy to well, like. I don't know about that. Even even I mean, Kessler was a, was just a dink to deal with. Uh, but he was our and Luong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Luongo was also a, it was just a different sort of player. Anyway, Corey was one of those guys that if I needed a good soundbite and I wanted to you know just talk to somebody and not be sort of worried that they're going to give be a dick to me. Yeah, it was yeah. Corey Schneider. So I I I've always had that. For Corey, and I want to see him do well, uh, and I want to see him do well for Team USA as Good well. Good mentor for 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 Thatcher Demko Absolutely. to that exact end. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, look at Sweden now, and of course, there's going to be three Canucks at least on the roster. Uh, EP40, Elias Patterson, the Alien, whatever you want to call him. No surprise there. Jacob Markstrom, of course, Jacob Markstrom earned a spot to play on Team Sweden. Louis freaking Eriksson is on the team. You got to be kidding me. You know how they have those advertisements on helmets and they've got all the logos and everything in European hockey? I want Louis Erickson to play for Team Sweden. With the headband? With the headband (laughs) over his helmet. I want him to play with that on. I want Mexico Louis to come out in that tournament and just dominate. Yeah, Mexico Louis might actually be the better player. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And I also... uh, I think that that's a, a good ethos, I guess, and good for him. So I hope he's going to have a good tournament and up his trade value. Did you hear the stat? That, I mean, he played 81 games this year. Yeah, yeah. Did, you know where I'm going, right? Yeah. Three hits. Three hits the entire season. Now, I, I get it. People are like, yeah, well, that's Louis Harrison. He doesn't hit. But come on, man. Three hits. Like, there's guys that get three hits in, in a shift. Like, you got to be kidding me. And I, it's so funny, too, because I know Halford and Brough were laughing about it. They're like, well, yeah, you know, Louis on Team Sweden. He loves hockey. Like, <laughs> like, there's a guy that when I watch play, I'm like, I don't know if this guy does love hockey. No, I, I think that he's lost his love for the game. And I, I think that he's kind of going through the motions here. And ultimately, uh, if Benning is, is smart, he's going to find a way to force that, that contract onto Ottawa's books this summer. Because I think it just... It's completely fallen apart for player and team alike, and it would be best for them to have a divorce at this point. And who knows? I mean, we've seen what the the World Hockey Championships can do for players. 
It doesn't seem to make sense given it's a small sample of, of mostly a- exhibition hockey, but look at what it's done for, for Philip Holm. Got him a contract. Look at what it's done for goaltenders. I think like Jonas Gustafsson, his hype was so built. Are you, the... are you thinking that Jim Benning is looking at this World Hockey Championship going, Louie, just do something, buddy. Sure. Just do something and I can ship you out of here. Sure, because then some team is going to convince Ottawa, is going to convince themselves like, oh, okay, <laughs> if he gets a change of scenery, he can do something for us. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe I'm kind of projecting my desire to see him somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, I your think fan it, is showing right now. Oh, your fan side is showing right now. I think that it's you always dig me about my fan sides. Why can't I do you? Whoa, it's that not didn't come nothing. out right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, uh, okay, it's not a big deal, but it's not nothing. That's what I'll say about the World Hockey Championship. Okay, last point we're going to make here uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, Sidney Crosby has declined to play for Canada in the World Hockey Championship. Uh, to He's me, a monster. To me, it's a no-brainer for Sid. I mean, the guy's been playing so much hockey over the years. Um, there are others, though. I saw somebody in our uh, replying on our Twitter feed. Uh, because we did put out, because Ferraro said, yeah, no, he gets a pass. You know, he's played so much hockey. He's done so much for Hockey Canada. Like, you, you don't, you know, Sid, Sid's okay. But then I saw somebody, a regular contributor uh, to TSN 1040, and we love the listeners here on the station and all of you guys that I, uh, I'm a huge fan. that listen to the podcast, uh, but saying, no, Ray's wrong about this one. He doesn't get a pass. Uh, I'm sorry. Sydney Sydney Crosby, we have so much depth. In Canada, uh, Sidney Crosby doesn't owe Canada anything playing at the World Hockey Championship. He just didn't need to do it. No, who cares? Yeah, that's that's my take. Like it's it's a tournament where Philip Holm looked great. I mean, like this is not the big the big dance. Like right? it's a story, it's, but it's a nothing story. Yeah, it's a nothing yeah. burger for me. I, All right, I don't know. I think Canada still has a big talent edge on most teams, so I think they're fine. All right, uh, haven't spoken about them yet, but I want to thank Molecule Sports for sticking around for the podcast with us. Uh, you can check them out at moleculesports.ca. Um, and guys, we'll have another fresh podcast for you each and every Friday. So stay with us throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, for JD Burke, I'm Andrew Wadden. This is the show that always scores rink wide podcast. We'll see you next week. Rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. Help the show grow.